Chapter Fifteen. At him, Shadow! Gom's anguished cry cracked the night silence, bringing the entire stable awake. Horses snuffled, waffled, neighed, then stamped and reared and kicked their stalls. The hand tightened on Gom's arm. Come out here and let's have a look at you. Before Gom could think. He was dragged out into the passageway, and under the dim lantern light, Gom, struggling, pulled away to face his attacker, and halted in astonishment. Not Zamul, after all. Who, who are you? The night watchman, the man said with obvious satisfaction, looking out for the likes of you. The likes of him. What did that mean? I'm a guest here," Gom protested. "This is my dog. I came to see how he was." The man eyed Gom up and down, and I'm the late lord, a sitting on my throne. You think I'm a fool? You're not the first one to come in here looking for a horse to steal. The watchman seized Gom's arm, and shook him roughly. "Come you on, young larrikin. You're going to see the master." Gom was marched, protesting all the while, out of the stables, and across the inn yard. Lights popped up all over the house, and heads poked out of windows to see what all the fuss was. If he'd wanted to announce his presence in the inn, he could not have chosen a better way. The innkeeper had only just gone to bed, and was not too glad at being rousted out again. It took one whole hour, and Carrick, to clear matters up, and quiet things down. Carrick uttered not one cross word about being woken up in the early hours by an angry host. All he said was, "Don't take it hard," as they went back upstairs. "You were only trying to be kind to that wretched animal of yours, even though," he added, "you waste your time." Still, no harm's come of it, save that you've now less than three hours' sleep left. We leave at dawn. Soberly, Gom took off his clothes, and climbed back into bed. No harm had come of the escapade, Carrick had said. Gom took comfort in that. In fact, he'd noticed particularly. None of the night-capped heads peering out of doorways as he'd come back upstairs had looked remotely like Samul. So he wasn't here, unless sudden awful thought he was disguised as one of them. Gom turned over. What was he to do? Danger still stalked, but he couldn't stay by Carrick's side forever. Chastened by this last experience, Gom resolved to renew his watch, not only for Skullbird above, 
but for human conjurer below, in any shape or form. And to find his mother and quickly, before he lost the rune again. The next day, they got in a good four hours travelling before the sun rose high and hot. They followed the slow, easy trail along the river bank, taking their time. Gom's back was healing fast, so much so that in the afternoon he forsook Finnekin and walked alongside Carrick, swinging his staff and looking about him all the while, covertly, so as not to provoke awkward questions. If Carrick did notice, he didn't say. Shadow left his pannier in the cool of late afternoon for brief spells along the trail. The only trouble was that he would run off into the undergrowth in spite of Gom's anxious warnings. You're not healed yet, Gom told him, going after him one time to bring him back. Neither did he want to let the dog out of his sight. I'll be fine, Shadow said. It's good to be able to run about again, and I'm picking up so many interesting smells. Gom was most unhappy about the dog's stubbornness, and he said as much to Carrick. The next time Shadow ran off the trail, Carrick called him back. Here! Here, sir! To heel at once! The dog returned instantly, and from then on stayed by Carrick's feet. Gom regarded Shadow with great resentment. How could he prefer a man who treated him like that to one who honoured him as a friend? For five days more they travelled thus, staying at little country inns at night, plodding beside the laden pack-horse during the slow hours. Each time they stopped, people brought their pots and pans for Carrick to mend, and Gom sat by him scrutinising each strange face, while at the same time noticing how the tinker tapped his patches into place, until he knew the tools well enough to hand Carrick what he needed even before he asked. And that amused Carrick, it seemed. You want to be a tinker, Master Gom? I'll take you as apprentice any day. As they moved on, Gom glanced upward constantly, scanning the sky for Zamul, but saw no sign of the skullbird. Now and then he'd put the rune to his ear, listening for warning vibrations. From time to time his heart would lurch as a traveller approached with pack-horse or cart or merely on foot. Most of them stopped to exchange friendly greetings with Carrick and a little gossip. Gum looked them all over carefully, staying close by Carrick's elbow, staff at the ready, hand over the rune to keep it from popping out through Carrick's big shirt neck. But as far as he could tell, those travellers were genuine enough, and after a brief nod to Gom, they went on their way. Bit by bit, 
the narrow valley widened until Gom could no longer see its hill boundaries on either side. An impressive sight, but which left him feeling uneasily exposed. Around mid-afternoon on the third day, they reached a signpost inscribed in bold black letters that, of course, Gom couldn't read. Down the length of the post itself was inscribed what looked like a long, broad finger, and down its centre a wavy, thin line like a vein, complete with tributaries, ran down to the fingernail at its base. Carrick pointed. For us folks as can't read, he said. The finger is Long Valley. The line is the river. And the nail is Langoth Lake. Those two words round the other side read Long Valley, they tell me. There's no doubt us unlettered folk get better value for our money, wouldn't you say, Master Gom? His glance was wry. Gom nodded, returning the look. But Gom knew from Carrick's gentle jest that the tinker minded not being able to read as much as he did. Perhaps, thought Gom, when he'd learned his letters from Haga, as surely he would, he could in turn pass the learning on to Carrick. Now wouldn't that be a splendid way to repay the man's great good kindness? On the fourth day, Gom shed his bindings and enjoyed the cool of Carrick's loose shirt. Shadow's side also was improving rapidly, and the hair was growing back over the jagged scar. Shadow began to worry the stitches, whining with discomfort. So that evening, when they stopped for the night, Carrick cut them out and painted the scar with liquid fire. Looks well enough, the tinker told Gom. Another week or two and his hair will have grown in, but he'll bear that mark for the rest of his life. Near the end of the fifth day, they were toiling up a long, slow incline, rising above the sparkling river waters. Another minute, Carrick told Gom, as they reached the crest, and you'll have such a view. Whoa, Finnegan! Gom stopped, looking down in delight at the country spread before him in a vast, wide arc. Through it, the glistening river curled down to a long oval lake on the horizon. Lake Langoth, and there, around its western edge, Penlangoth the city. Gom gazed in wonder. A mass of rooftops, hundreds and hundreds of them, clustered along the lake shore. How could there be so many people in the world? Why, a body could lose himself in such a place. There, just off the mainland, exactly as Carrick had said, the Lake Lord Stone Citadel jutted out of the calm blue water. Tiny flags flew from high twin turrets. 
and wooden drawbridges spanned the short distance to the shore. The crescent harbour bristled with masts, and minute sailing boats scratched to the lake's surface with fine white lines that feathered and vanished even as Gom watched them form. You're impressed, I see. Carrick shaded his eyes from the lengthening sunlight. Oh, yes, Gom replied, not taking his eyes off the city. I've never seen the like. Is that the fishing fleet? Aye, and just coming in by the look of it. See the harbour there? That's Lakeside that I told you of. That's home, where they're headed. Tomorrow you shall watch them put in from the dock, if you've a mind. Back of it is the fish market, loaded with every kind of fish you can imagine. Come on, let's hurry, Carrick said. Just talking about it makes me hungry for good fresh lake food again. Gum pulled back, still gazing, rapt, at the sunny landscape, picturing the blight of Katak's evil crawling over it like a giant shadow, blocking out the light. Gom? Carrick was waiting. But Gom was not yet ready to move on. Where's the regular market? Where Carrick plied his trade. Ah, said Carrick, I'm forgetting. You've never seen one before, have you? Carrick pointed. You see that bright patch next to the fish market, up from the shore? That's it. Gom eyed the circular patch of bright colours amid the tight jumble of rooftops curiously, remembering Carrick telling him how the market was like the Greenvale Fair, only so big that there was work for twenty tinkers all the year round. Somewhere close to that place was the Jolly Fisherman, a crowded place, bustling with many strange faces, Come on, he told himself. You're seeing menace under every leaf and stone. As long as you're with Carrick, you're safe enough. Gom hastened with Carrick down that last incline until trail was suddenly road, wide enough to take traffic in both directions at once and smooth as a floor. They passed houses, a few cottages at first, then growing bigger and more numerous, until they were grander than any Gom had ever seen, grander than any of the inns they'd stayed in along the trail. As they progressed through the city outskirts, traffic increased, mostly folk on horseback, and in strange enclosed carts like tiny wooden houses on wheels, with windows draped in curtains. Carriages, the tinker said. Carrying gentlefolk. Gom shrank in close to Carrick's side. Not so, Shadow. He darted out into the middle of the road, starting a pair of horses, nearly ending up under carriage wheels. You, sir! Carrick called Shadow in sternly. You'll stay close in here from now on, unless you want to end up dead. Shadow barked his pleasure at Carrick's command and went to heel. 
Gom turned away in disgust. Why, Shadow even preferred barking at Carrick to conversing in his own tongue with Gom, for he'd made no attempt all the way down Long Valley to talk with Gom alone. Oh well, Gom shrugged. He didn't want a licky-lucky, but a friend. And Shadow evidently wasn't it. Gom looked after the carriages curiously, wondering about the folk within them. He wasn't at all sure he'd like to travel that way, grand as it seemed. Being shut up like that would make him fidgety. And what if he wanted to stop to look at something along the way? Come to think, he much preferred to go as he was, on his own two feet. The houses multiplied, closed ranks until they formed two solid phalanxes lining the road. Huge houses, high as two, three huts piled atop one another. The roadside was crowded now with passers-by on foot, different from the folk up north. These people were softer and pinker, smooth, well-scrubbed, and well-fed, putting gum in mind of acorn. As for their clothes, Gom remembered Samul's fancy jacket. They were brighter, finer, even the children's, and covered with elaborate braiding and shiny buttons of every size and color. Some of the children made faces at him as they passed, and small wonder, Gom thought, becoming uncomfortably aware of his own derelict appearance, his ripped trousers, his dusty jacket, his worn-down boots. He glanced at his hands, grime-streaked from the day on the road, and realized that his face must look no better. Not surprising either, he thought, suddenly enlightened, that the watchman back in Wellingford had considered him such a low fellow. With mixed feelings, Gom finally turned off the main thoroughfare to follow Carrick past rows of tiny cottages toward the lake's edge. It was good to be away from all the staring faces, but the streets, narrow and twisted and ill-lit, afforded plenty of shelter for a would-be attacker. Here we are, Carrick said at last, to Gom's great relief. They'd stopped short of the actual shore, halfway down a steep hill, in front of a large high building squatting in the midst of the cottages, a mother hen among her chicks. The jolly fisherman, with its sign jutting out clearly over the inn's front doorway, the picture of a rotund fisherman, his legs kicking high in the air, one hand throwing a net, the other holding a frothing ale mug while miraculously not spilling a drop. Gom kept close as Carrick unpacked his gear and handed over horse and dog to the stable boy's care. Then holding on to his own pack and staff, 
Gom hurried after the tinker into the inn. It was big and grand, much grander than the country inns, with great wooden beams and brass lanterns and windows everywhere. Gom relaxed. It was open and bright and safe somehow. A good place, Carrick said as they entered, as near to permanent home as he'd ever have, with as near to family as he'd ever have. The tinker added, presenting him to his hostess, Essie, a jolly widow. She was a formidable woman. Her face was painted bright as a doll's. Her shapely body was tightly encased in red silk. And she was hung all over with little glass beads that shook and sparkled with every move. Get that lamb upstairs, Carrick! Essie cried, throwing up her hands at Gom. He looks dead on his feet, and in need of a good hot meal, and water. Go on, and I'll send the hip bath after him. You've landed on your feet, Carrick laughed. Taking Gom up the winding stair to what he called his regular room, a wide attic chamber overlooking the lake. It was clean and plain. The furniture was big and solid, and a welcome fire already burned in the hearth. Nights were cold down by the lakeside. Gom ran to the window. But saw only a wide expanse of blackness, with a lone light or two, from the odd night fisherman's boat out on the water. How do you mean landed on my feet? What is a hip bath? Gom asked, turning back to the room. Before Carrick could answer, two men brought it in. A round tin tank, deep enough. For a full-grown man to sit in, with a high-curved back to loll against. After the men, two chambermaids brought in large pails of steaming water, which they tipped into the bath. That's landing on your feet. Carrick nodded to the bath the moment he and Gom were alone. Though I think you've done more than that, Master Gom. It's my judgment that you've been and gone and captured our Essie's heart. Most folks, including me, usually make do with that. The tinker waved to a ewer of cold water standing on a chest by the wall. I don't like baths, Gom said. Let's swap. Swap? Tis more than my life's worth. Carrick laughed. I'm teasing you, lad. Jump in. Tis a treat fit enough for the late lord himself, as you'll see. Here, I'm a laying out a clean nightshirt on the bed for you to put on afterward, and a big dry towel. Take your time. I'm off for a mug of ale with Essie. After that, I'll bring us up some supper and see about getting an extra cot in here. Carrick was leaving him alone. Gom was once again uneasy. While you're gone, should I bolt the door, Carrick? 
Carrick's eyes widened. Eh? Whatever for? Well, Gom cast about for a reason. What if someone comes in whilst I'm in the bath? Carrick nodded. Modest are you? No one will, I assure you. This attic floor is only for you and me and the infolk. He smiled. But if it makes you feel better, lad, by all means. Just don't fall asleep, though, and leave me locked out all night. Laughing, Carrick went out. Gum bolted the door behind him. Then, feeling better, he stripped off his clothes and, bending over, dabbled his fingers in the water. It was hot, though not overly. He slipped one foot into the bath. Hmm, was good, he had to admit. He put the other foot in, then slowly lowered himself, savoring the feel of warm water sliding up to his waist, the gentle heat from the fire on the rest of him. He leaned against the bath's high back, relaxing at last with a deep sigh of content. Carrick was right. The bath was fit for a lord. There were, he thought, recalling a lifetime of cold dips in the creek, cold washes in the bucket outside the hut door, baths and baths. When finally he climbed out to towel himself down, the water was almost cold, and his hands were wrinkled as wet washing. His fingers could scarce button up his clean nightshirt. He smoothed back his wet hair and threw himself into a high wing chair beside the fire to wait for Carrick. His body hadn't felt so clean in a long while, and it tingled all over. What more could he want, he thought, staring happily into the flames. Tonight he was going to eat a fine supper and sleep in a warm, dry bed. And tomorrow he was going out with Carrick into the marketplace to begin his search for Hager in earnest. When Gorm awoke the next morning, Carrick was gone, and all his gear. The tinker's bed was made, and the hearth swept. On the oval table in the middle of the room was set a wooden tray with oat cakes and apple and a mug of milk. Gom threw on his clothes and ran to the door. There he stopped, looking back into the room. The message was perfectly clear. Carrick had let him sleep, had trusted Gom to eat his breakfast and find his own way to the Tinker's Market store. He ate up the contents of the breakfast tray standing by the window. Below him, the lake stretched into morning mist.
two large sailboats were putting out from the shore. He could quite plainly see the jumble of wooden stalls and pails and crates along the dockside that marked the fish market. Adjacent and farther up from the shore, the brighter, gaudier stalls of the regular marketplace crowded a space big enough by the looks of it to lose the whole of Clackin. Gom peered down at the tiny canvas tops and banners, and the masses of heads milling in between. He opened the window and leaned out for a better view, and the noise of the crowd and the shouts of merchants and artisans plying their trade surged up toward him. Best cottons in all home. Never see another bargain like this beautiful clay pot. Shoes mended while you wait. Your fortune told for a song. Gom gazed around at all the colours, trying to pick out Carrick's green and white striped awning. But there were, he found, as many of those as of red and white and blue and white and yellow and orange and brown. If he wanted to find Carrick, he realised, he'd have to go and seek him. Gom left the window and, taking up his staff, made for the door. There he paused and, on second thought, retrieved Stig's water bottle from his pack, filled it, and stowed it in his back pocket together with the map. Never know, but he might be glad of it out there. Now he went down the winding stairs to the main hallway that cut straight through the inn from front door to back. To Gom's right was the hot and noisy street. To the left was the inn-yard, still shaded by high walls. Gom turned left to fetch shadow from his stable stall. He crossed the cool cobbled yard to the stables opposite. Inside, the air was hot and moveless, and the smell of horse was strong. He stood for a moment, remembering the fuss in the stable at the first inn on the way, how he'd mistaken the watchman for Zamul. Shadow's stall, thought Gom, still smiling wryly at the memory of his embarrassment, was halfway down the passage on the right. Empty. Of course. The dog would have gone with Carrick, Gom realized. Well, why should it matter to him? He left the stables, but instead of going back through the inn, he crossed the yard and went directly out into the street by the carriage entrance. It was hot, crowded, and noisy, and over all was the strongest smell, fresh and dank at the same time. Gom wrinkled up his nose, sniffing.
fish, fresh fish, live crabs, crayfish, a lot of. Cries from the fish market, coming clean up from the water's edge. Gum hurried down to the corner, and there the market was, right across the street, looking bigger and much more bewildering than it had from the attic window. How long would it take to find Carrick? Crossing the cobbles, Gum dove into the crowd. He hadn't gone far before a large man pushed past, shoving Gom against a booth, jarring his ribs. Watch where you're going! The man snapped and moved on, muttering angrily about folks minding other folks's toes. Gom leaned against the booth, clutching his shirt neck close, chilled. What if that had been Samul? Gom remembered the conjurer holding the woman's chain, and she not having dreamed that he'd taken it from her. He began to wish he'd not jumped into the crowd so quickly, that he wore some other shirt than Carrick's with the oversized neck, even that he'd left the room behind. Keeping the shirt neck tightly closed, Gom moved on, elbowing his way through the throng, seeking the sanctuary of Carrick's green and white awning, wishing that Carrick advertised his services as many of these others did, by touting loudly for custom. All at once, Gom caught sight of a head of lank pale hair rearing higher than the rest. He stopped still, gazing at the long, thin, animated face and the long, loose, animated arms, one hand holding high a big brown bottle, the sort that herbwives put their remedies in, the other hand pointing. It was Matt, the youth from Braggett on the Edge, whom he'd saved from a flogging. And I, Mattamore Marplot, guarantee, gentlemen, Matt was shouting so loudly that his face had turned pink, your hair will be as thick and bushy as when you were a lad. Matt held the bottle higher for all to see. How much did you say? A gruff voice asked. Matt turned toward the voice. A shilling, dear sir. He fished a tiny silver coin from his own pocket and held it up. One little shining shilling is all I ask for this wonderful elixir. Don't seem so much to ask, a man muttered, close by Gom. Give me one, he called and pushed his way to the front. Smiling graciously, Matt stepped down from Gom's view. I'll try it, might as well, came another voice, and soon there was a clamour for whatever Matt was selling. Gom considered pushing his way to the front 
to speak to Matt, but pulled back. The youth looked busy enough, and might not even remember him. Perhaps later, Gom thought, when the crowds had thinned a bit, he'd go back to see the lad then. Maybe Matt was staying hereabouts. In which case, Gom's spirits rose, he could introduce a new friend to Carrick, and they could all sit together that evening in the inn. He did wonder, as he pushed on, what the elixir was, and whether it was any better than the potions and remedies the lad had foisted on Braggett. Apothecary, Gum murmured to himself. Matt's acting the apothecary, without having had the training. Surely that could be quite dangerous. He came across four other tinkers before he finally found Carrick. The man was sitting on his little stool under his awning, a pile of pots and pans already beside him waiting to be mended. The tinker's head was bent over a large iron skillet, which apparently belonged to the severe-looking wife standing beside him. Also beside him lolled Shadow, head on paws, eyes shut, tongue hanging out. Shadow's ribs, Gom noticed, were much fuller, and his coat was thicker over the starkness of the scar. Ah, Gom, good morning. Carrick paused, looked up smiling, obviously glad to see him. The tinker dug in his pocket, drew out a handful of coins. Here, enjoy yourself. Buy yourself a treat or two. Go on, Master Gom, he urged as Gom drew back. But I've come to help you, Gom protested. Nonsense. Carrick pushed the money at him. This is your first day. You can help me tomorrow if you like. Gom eyed the coins on Carrick's palm. His friend was so kind. But having sought and found the safety of Carrick's tent, he didn't want to go out again into those uncertain crowds. The tinker waited, hand outstretched. Come to think, Gom reasoned, if he continued to hide behind Carrick like this, how would he ever learn of Haga? He sighed, and thanking Carrick, took up the coins. Carrick smartly poked the dog's side. Up, Shadow, and go with Gom. No, Gom said quickly, not wanting unwilling company. He'd much better stay out of harm's way, for his side still looks sore. Before Carrick could argue, Gom left them both and pushed through the crowd, marvelling at the number of booths and the variety of goods they displayed. He stopped by one booth, hung with shirts of all sizes and colours, fingered a blue one, just his fit, in fine crisp cotton, with shell buttons down the front and long sleeves that rolled up in hot weather and a neck high enough to hide the rune. Slowly he took out the money Carrick had given him. 
he counted out the coins, then changed his mind. It didn't seem right somehow, buying a shirt for himself with unearned money. He'd wait, for all his unease. He'd help Carrick tomorrow. Maybe after a week or two, he'd have enough money of his own. Yet Carrick would be offended if he didn't get some small thing now. He bought himself a sticky bun from a pastry store and wandered on to a table full of gleaming knives in fancy leather sheaths. Here was something else he needed. He selected one, balanced the blade on his palm. It was well made, solid, sharp, with a stout wooden handle. But the price! It was twice as much as Carrick had given Gom. And it was the cheapest! Gom replaced it reluctantly. Too much. And hadn't he resolved to pay his own way? He moved on again until suddenly he'd had enough. He looked around to take his bearings, intending to tell Carrick that he was going back to the inn for a rest. As he did so, a gap formed in the crowd ahead, and there was Samul, staring straight at him. The gap closed, then opened again. The conjurer was gone. Stiff with panic, Gom whirled about. Which way, which way had Samul moved? He turned about again. He must get back to Carrick, fast. One hand tight about the staff, the other clutching the neck of his shirt over the rune, he struck out, pushing, shoving, poking folks' ribs, and tripping them in his haste. Faster, he urged himself, expecting to feel Zamul's hand descend upon him at any moment. He burst from the edge of the crowd and into the street. But which street? The inn street? No, that ran down to the lake, while this one lay parallel with the shore. He glanced fearfully from right to left, feeling exposed. Trusting to his nose, Gom ran left alongside the marketplace, until he reached the street corner and looked up the hill. There. The inn sign stuck out quite clearly, swinging in the breeze. Gom crossed the street and ran up the steep slope, then through the inn porch, going from blinding sunlight into the gloom of the front hallway. He paused, blinking, until his eyes adjusted. To his right, Essie, in bright yellow dress and flowered apron, bustled about crowded parlour tables. Down the far end of the hall, the inn yard, now brilliant with sunshine, teemed with horses and wagons, and men passing and repassing the open back door. Gom started up the stairs to Carrick's attic room, He'd just reached the first landing when he glanced up. Descending toward him was the conjurer. Gom turned 
and leapt down the staircase two, three steps at a time, bumping into a chambermaid carrying up a pile of clean linen. Here, here, you young larrikin! Just look where you're going! Sorry, Gum called over his shoulder. Still looking back, he knocked into a cleaner coming up the staircase, toting a mop and a full pail of water. Gom ran, ignoring the angry calls at his back. He heard a clank, a curse. Zamul had found the bucket also. Reaching the foot of the staircase, Gom looked about him thinking fast. Where could he go now? Back into the crowded street? No, it would be so easy for Zamul to take him in that anonymous place with no one to care. On an impulse, Gom ran the other way, out into the inn-yard, to find it crammed with enormous wagons whose hooped covers arched over their tops like tents. A caravan, loaded and lined up, ready to go. Gom pressed himself against the inn-wall. Tall, fearsome men, in leather leggings, and high-heeled shoes, leather gauntlets almost to the elbow, and broad-brimmed leather hats, were backing great pack-horses into the wagon's shafts with a deal of cursing and hopping and clacking of hooves on the hard, shiny cobbles. They looked quite different from the lakeside folk. Gom tried to guess what they could be. Not farmers, he was sure. Their bodies hadn't the stocky, muscular look of the farmers he knew. They were altogether different, lean, tall, hard, and their faces looked forbidding under the wide hat brims. Every one of them carried a whip. Gom almost cried out, as one cracked close by his ear. Plucking up his courage, he crept around the courtyard periphery to the stables and stood by the doorway, looking out. There was no sign of Zamul in the courtyard. Had Gom managed to lose him? If so, now what? He turned about. The stables seemed empty. The grooms were probably outside, helping the caravan on its way. Gom decided to hide in a pile of hay and wait for Carrick's return. But at Shadow's stall, Gom stopped in astonishment. The dog was lying in the far corner and in a very sorry state. Gum pushed open the stall wicket and went in. So you came back too? He crouched beside the dog. Didn't I tell you that you'd have to go easy until your side... Gum slowly straightened up, his eyes on the hound's side. It was skinny still, just beginning to fill out, but the hair grew thick and black and glossy all over, with not a hint 
of a scar. Come back off. A step. Two. His fist tight on the staff. Shadow. With a vicious snarl, the figure leapt. Gom raised the staff to defend himself, and lashed out. As stick struck home, the image of the dog shimmered in midair, dissolved. And began to reform in the shape of Zamul. Seizing his chance, Gom ran out, down the empty passageway. He heard Zamul shout, the thud of the wickets swinging too, and heavy feet running down the passage after him. Gom raced into the courtyard, took shelter behind one of the wagons, and peeped out. Zamul was standing in the stable doorway, gazing narrowly around. Which way out? Gom weighed his chances. He could never reach the inn door without being seen, but he might make it out to the street. He began to work his way around the carts, until. Looking back, he saw the conjurer moving purposefully in his direction. Gom ran in and out of the wagon line in crazy loops. Oi! Came a man's voice, harsh as the whip he cracked. Gom scrambled up into one of the wagons and dropped the flap behind him. Light filtered through the canvas canopy. A mixed blessing, for while he could see in there, he would also be seen by anyone who chose to poke his head in through the flap. Gom crouched, breathless, among barrels, large wooden boxes, and half a dozen bulging sacks. A hand seized the flap, shook it. And the voice came again. Here, what are you doing, skulking around our goods? Now Gom was really trapped. He waited for the flap to go up, for an arm to reach in and pull him out. To his surprise, another voice spoke up—a voice fawning and sly. I'm certainly not thinking to steal from the Salahin, honoured sir. Only a fool would even think of it. I'm looking for my sister's boy. Hey, don't suppose you've seen him? A squinty little thing, a regular scruff, clothes all stained and torn. I've seen no boy. Try the stables now. Out of the way, man, unless you want to get trampled underfoot. The canopy flap jiggled smartly. Gom drew in his breath and braced himself. But the flap still didn't go up. The Salahin, as Zamul had called him, was only adjusting it. Gom sighed with relief. That he didn't even suspect he was in there. The Salahin had challenged Zamul, not Gom. And still a coward, apparently the conjurer had retreated. Another whip crack, 
and a strident voice shouted something in a strange, harsh tongue. An instant later, a crate slid into Gom, pinning him against a barrel, as the wagon lurched into motion over the cobbles. Gom heaved the crate aside and moved free. Here was a pretty situation, he told himself. But never mind, it worked to his advantage. At least he'd get clear of Zamul. Once out of the inn-yard, he'd simply climb from the cart and go to Carrick. He listened, hearing outside street noises mingle with the rumble of wheels over rough paving. Market sounds, merchants calling out their wares. The sounds rose, then began to fade. Gom's wagon tilted as it pulled uphill now, away from the lakeside. Swaying and rocking on his heels with the bumping of the wagon, Gom moved to raise the flap. It wouldn't give. He tugged at it. Still it wouldn't budge. He set down the staff, and using both hands now, pulled with all his might. The flap was sealed tight, from floor to roof. Unbelieving, Gom worked his way around the wagon, crawling over and around the barrels and sacks and boxes. The canvas, tough as leather, was nailed down so tightly that not even a mouse could get in or out. Gom sat down with a bump and covered his face in dismay. A refugee, a short-term stowaway, in the Salahin's caravan. That's all he'd meant to be. But now, without intending it, he was their prisoner. <laughs>